Hello, everyone. I hope you're all doing well. Having a great week. I'm feeling good. I do hope you're all feeling good. And just remember, if you're not, it will pass. Part of resilience is knowing that everything is temporary, nothing is fixed. There's a real autumnal vibe going around at the minute. And let me tell you, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. And I, I talked to a lot of you about how I set up my environment at home because there'll be some stresses in my day. Of course I can. I'm only human. And last week I had this amazing pumpkin spiced calendar, um, calendar, candle. But today, well, this week it's white woods and tonka bean. And let me tell you, it's just not a vibe. It's not a vibe. And the irony, because last week it was actually glorious sunshine, it was really hot, and I was sat here with autumnal spices filling my office. And now I actually need the autumnal vibe. So that's going to be something that I do this weekend, go and treat myself to a wiener candle. You're welcome. Um, some exciting things coming up that I just want to let you all know about. So next week, I've got Ben Coomba on the podcast, who is the founder of the BTN Academy and Awesome Supplements. He's going to be joining me on the podcast to be talking all things male body image and males relationship with food, because I just don't think it's spoken about enough in the industry. We talk a lot and I talk a lot from a female's perspective, and I think Equally, we need to be broadening our horizon and acknowledging that men also struggle with their relationship with food and also struggle with their body image and creating space to allow men to talk about it. And Ben has been so open and honest with his journey, having long COVID as well and not being able to exercise. So that's going to be awesome. If you have any questions for him, please do drop them across to me on your check-ins and I will make sure that they are covered. And then I have also got Felicity Rosina coming on the podcast to talk about supporting children with a balanced relationship with food. And the reason I say this is because I think we should be doing the best we can for the future generation. And a lot of the times I get questions like, how can I stop my child having a poor relationship with food like I did? And I think there's quite a lot to it. And Felicity herself has a young boy because, of course, it's striking the balance between making sure they get enough vegetables and micronutrients and, and vitamins in to support their bone mineral density, to support their growth, but then also not labelling chocolate as bad and maybe not always soothing with this sort of food. So there's going to be quite a lot to explore. So if you have some questions for Felicity, please do also drop those across to me and I'll make sure that they are answered and covered in the podcast, which is so very exciting, isn't it? So very exciting. Um, and yeah, I've also opened 10 spaces for autumn to onboard some new heroes just like yourselves and remember there is also the referral scheme in place so if anybody on boards and and drops your name name dropping well, you know um you are entitled to 50 percent off which is pretty incredible right pretty incredible so if you know anybody who you think may benefit from life-changing coaching and you guys know that this does change lives to be able to sit at christmas and not feel guilt around the food to be able to sit at Christmas and not resent people for bringing chocolate into the house and for me one of the biggest things that really helped me when I developed a, a, a really balanced food relationship was 
knowing that I didn't need to replenish the chocolates that I'd ate in secret because that was something that I frequently did and I always had to go back and buy more chocolate instead having autonomy and following an inclusive diet with the emotional awareness and the emotional regulation you know and value-led actions which you don't get from a fat loss phase right shockingly comes from healing your relationship with food and achieving fat loss if that's one of your goals anyway so yeah let's get cracking because we have some amazing questions as always first one I'm interested into how you deal with comments on your food choices from other people (laughs) gosh anybody would think I was really honest and open about my situation so yeah I talk about this quite a lot I do still get comments on food choices from people close to me but also from strangers um a lot of you know that I love America I frequently travel to America where possible and I recall a few times even this time just recently I was sat eating a donut and these donuts are big they're probably as big as my head but they're frankly delicious and the cashier turned around and said to me how can you eat all of that? You're tiny. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because people's comments on our food choices is a projection out of their insecurities. So to start with, I look at it through the lens of compassion. And I look at it through that lens because I'm acknowledging that they're doing the best they can with where they're at. And maybe they haven't got a balanced food relationship like I have with inclusion and awareness of, you know, what I do for the majority of the time. And knowing that that small, well, it's not small, but that donor and that that situation in particular is only a very minute part of what I do over the majority of the time. And we know what we do over the majority of the time is therefore dictated of our success. So I firstly see it through the lens of compassion and acknowledge that the person who is saying something to me is doing the best they can with where they're at. Then secondly, depending on the situation and depending on how much I want to go into this, because shockingly, I don't actually like to talk about food very often. I don't. So what I do in these situations is... I can invite in um, curiosity. So that's interesting that you think that I can't eat this. What makes you think that I can't eat this? And they might say something like, I believe this food is bad or um, you're eating too much, which can then again, invite more curiosity. Okay, so what makes you think that this food is bad? Because when you're inviting curiosity and you're using open-ended questions like this, you're actually helping them with their food relationship as well, because you may be helping them understand that eating a donut every now and again isn't bad. And understanding as well that eating past fullness every now and again isn't necessarily bad. But then there's also times when somebody might comment on my food choices, maybe a family member who's really close to me. And quite frankly, in that situation, I don't want to talk about food because even though I'm a nutritionist and I absolutely love food, it's not something that I invite all the time so I just change the conversation and now how I deal with them in myself is having my own personal boundaries so I again looking at it through that lens of compassion understand that people are just projecting outwardly now I used to take them all the comments on many many years ago 
I would then fear what I was eating based on other people's comments. But having worked through my food relationship now and acknowledging where people are, acknowledging where people are at, and it's meeting them when they're at, where they're at. If you're open to inviting curiosity, invite the curiosity. If you're not, change the conversation. How you deal with it is knowing that that's their judgment. That's not fact. And the one thing I always like to say is when people are commenting on your food choices, would you ever take dietary advice from these people? For the majority of them, I wouldn't. In fact, for the vast amount of them, I wouldn't. And the people I would take dietary advice from wouldn't be commenting on my food choices. And nobody should therefore be having an influence on what you eat because that takes away your autonomy. So it's having a personal boundary with yourself and having a personal boundary with yourself comes with healing your food relationship because you're then able to see through this clear lens, A, how you're feeling in your body, B, what it is that your body needs in that moment, C, seeking out where possible the food, if it is the food or an alternative action that's supportive of you. Um. Oh, this one's quite similar as well. How to navigate situations about around people who always talk about dieting and eating healthier. And I think you're always going to be exposed to this, you know, because it's it's like a trend in society. People like to talk about dieting and people like to talk about what's good and what's bad. And this is where I've been having a few conversations this week around um, fat loss for individuals. Like people automatically assume that if you're looking to improve your health, that means fat loss. It doesn't. Fat loss is a healthy option for some people, but for some people it's also not. But the dieting industry is a capitalized market. It markets and our vulnerabilities and it profits from our insecurities dieting is not actually fat loss dieting is a way in which we eat but people associate dieting with fat loss and people associate what we eat with then health outcomes so we have this association that our weight and our shape is directly representative of our health false completely incorrect you cannot dictate somebody's health from their food choices and actually if you're spending years and years and years dieting and I say dieting inverted commas therefore chasing fat loss I'd say you're far unhealthier than somebody who is saying do you know what I'm just looking to be healthy now irrespective of body fat levels because the more you try and chase body fat levels the more you're likely trying to validate yourself by being a smaller person the more you're likely seeking acceptance from being a smaller person, the more you're going to impact your confidence levels, the more you're going to impact your self-esteem, your self-worth, because it's likely that you're chasing a fat loss method that is not sustainable. Therefore, you can't adhere to it. Therefore, it's increasing your dichotomous thinking and your all or nothing behaviors, which is then leading you to feel guilt, which is then leading you to feel shame and which is then corroding the very part of you that's capable of change. So you spend years and years and years dieting. And this is what happens for the majority of people. Like people spend their, their life chasing fat loss. So if you're going out in a situation and there are people talking about dieting and eating healthier, again, it comes back to a boundary. 
And that boundary is formed both with yourself and with those around you. And boundaries are protective. They're protective of yourself and they're protective of those around you. And if you feel like you're in a situation that's making you feel a little bit anxious, it's making you feel a little bit overwhelmed, then the boundary is going to help support you come back down to a place of equilibrium and be the best version of yourself, thus therefore helping the connection with the person around you. So you've got, again, a few options. You can invite curiosity, invite curiosity as to why they feel that they need to talk about dieting and talk about healthy, eating healthy. Like what does eating healthy even mean? There's absolutely no context to it. What does it mean? Eating lettuce all day. No, eating healthy is eating an inclusive diet where there's no food preoccupation, where there's no food guilt, where no foods are off limit, where you can say yes and say no. There is not a dietary intervention that supports just eating healthy. It's how an individual feels. And when you're inviting curiosity into these situations and helping people perhaps understand that you're therefore supporting their food world, their food relationship, or you say to them, I appreciate you talking about this, but I don't want to be involved in this situation. Now that will feel really uncomfortable. And I know that feels uncomfortable because there are boundaries that I still have to put in place now. And there are boundaries that I choose not to put in place because I don't want to sit with that discomfort. And instead then, okay, let's change the conversation. Can you talk about something else? Can you talk about the weather? Can you ask somebody how they're feeling? Because likelihood is if they're spending years and years dieting, as I just mentioned, they're probably feeling largely disconnected from themselves and they're probably feeling largely frustrated in themselves and they're probably hating how they feel in themselves. Asking them how they're feeling and not just asking them once. There's some pretty cool research out there that suggests asking them three times to really get to how they're feeling. And my big thing is if somebody says I'm fine, they're not fine. So if anybody ever asks me if I'm okay and I say I'm fine, that's a clear indication that I'm not fine <laughs> or I'm good. Really? Are you good? Are you sure? Um, and this far, like I said, greater things to talk about. Talking about dieting is duller than a dishcloth. And talking about dieting as well, if that's impacting your own food relationship, you know, I think one of the most courageous things people can do now, and I get that it needs vulnerability, I 100% understand that and I've been there, but some of the boundaries I put in place, I genuinely told people that I was working through my food relationship and I was at my smallest person then. So I was at my very smallest and I was open and honest with people because there was this assumption that I was the healthiest version of myself because I was quote unquote small and a healthy BMI. But I was so disconnected. I was so frustrated and I was so aggravated in myself. And I was so far from what we would know as health. And I sit now a good like 10 kilos heavier than that. And I still talk about my food relationship now. And the reason I still talk about my food relationship now is because I was open to being courageous, like courageous fear walking, as Brené Brown tells us. And I was vulnerable and I exposed myself and I took off this, this invisible cloak that diet culture puts on people like Harry Potter. And I then started to explore my own identity and then I started to explore what I wanted outside of these conversations, outside of the societal norm and the societal pressures that are put on people, whereby their health and their weight is directly representative of their body shape. It's false. And you know what? It's damaging for a lot of people. So if you're exposed to these situations and now you're listening to this thinking, yeah, do you know what? Actually, I'm tired of this and I need to be putting in a boundary. Boundaries are protective. And there's a few that you can do to put them in place, as I mentioned. Any tips? <laughs> <laughs> love this one any tips for not avoiding photos it seems more people want me in photos but each time I see myself in a photo I hate how I look especially my legs okay right 
I think the first important concept to get on board with here is that photos are not there to take a photo of your body. They're there to capture a memory. They're, they're not there that with a soul, like we're not just taking a photo of your legs, but I get it. And I don't know what it is, but every time we take a photo, like you take a photo of yourself, you just look bigger. Like I'm sure I always look bigger in photos, but here's the thing. Because that photo is designed to, to capture a memory, to capture a moment, how are you looking through the lens of this photo? So are you then zooming in on yourself? Are you zooming in on your legs? Are you then zooming in on Barbara next to you and saying, gosh, Barbara's legs look loads better than mine? And then comparing Barbara's legs to yours. Are you then zooming in on every single part of your body and ripping yourself apart? Why don't you zoom out? What did you attain in that moment? Were you connected with those around you? What colours can you see? What memory is that going to support, like going forward? So like, what was the memory bank? And they talk about beauty hunting, which was something that I heard from ETPHD. Like beauty hunting in the, like taking pictures of things that are beautiful in the world. And that's what photos are. They're they're beauty hunting, right? They're, they're supporting you having memories. Yeah, you may feel uncomfortable in yourself. And I hold space for that. That's like, I don't think anybody ever feels largely comfortable all the time in themselves. I had the conversation with a client this week who went on holiday and she said, yeah, I, I didn't feel confident in a bikini, but I felt a little bit more comfortable. Like if somebody says to me, I feel 100% confident, 100% comfortable in their smallest um, attire, I'd say, really, are you sure? Because nobody does. Yeah, it's pushed on social media that people do when they're striking their pose. But realistically, again, you don't know how they're feeling. So when you're having these photos taken now, acknowledging that you maybe don't feel comfortable in yourself but not zooming in on the photo instead looking at the bigger picture what colors can you see like again the memories that you made who were you with and we we criticize ourselves in these photos but there will be a point where these photos and like they, they have people in there that maybe are not around us anymore so instead of seeing a photo as capturing your body seeing it as capturing a moment and then maybe if people want more photos of you to build confidence, because we know confidence is a learned skill and that comes from repetition, that comes from constant exposure. Can you, I don't know, have a few more photos taken in the week? So maybe take a, like the odd selfie. It'll feel wild. Let me tell you, it feel wild. I know every time I put that camera on and I turn it around onto my face and start talking to upload it onto Instagram or to do these lives, it feels wild to see my face. Wild. Because I don't rarely look at myself in the mirror anymore. Yeah, I do for my skincare, but I literally chuck clothes on that I know sort of match-ish. <laughs> don't take fashion advice from me. Nutrition, fitness, life, go for it, but not fashion. I don't really look at myself anymore because, oh gosh, the amount of hours I spent looking at myself and the amount of time I lost looking at myself in reflections, like in cars, in windows, it sounds so, so lame. And let, it, let me tell you, it was lame. So I rarely look at myself now. But can you go away and start practicing that skill? of taking photos to then build your confidence in yourself so that when people ask you, your vagina isn't recoiling quite as much as perhaps it once was. Um, next question. How to start embracing spontaneous events with more of an open mind? My knee-jerk reaction is still to say no, but you'd like to get to a point where you have a pause and decide. 
and this is a really really common a really real common struggle for so many people and it comes with this notion that we must be perfect right that we need to be perfect in order to be successful with our health perfection is a perception it doesn't exist it's a perception that's manifested over a myriad of years from stories that you've told yourself from learned experiences from exposure to different methods but you now hold this belief that you need to control everything and everything needs to be perfect and the minute somebody puts something in your way that is out of your control you feel out of control which then leads to dichotomous thinking all or nothing so you either go in and say yeah I'm going out out all out or I'm going to avoid it and say no realistically speaking neither of these are value-led irrespective of what values you hold I can't imagine that you hold dichotomous thinking as a value I can't genuinely so it's breaking down the barrier of perfection, but also breaking down your desire to control, because in reality, food is not the problem here. It's letting go of perfection and letting go of the desire to control. When you embrace imperfection, let me tell you, things get so much calmer. Life is messy. Life happens. And when you're embracing imperfection, it allows for the messiness and the fluidity of life. It allows you to adapt. This perfection mindset is very much a narrow mindset. It doesn't allow you to adapt to situations. So in these scenarios, a couple of things that I like to recommend. You could have if-then strategies in place. So if-then strategies in place are whereby you talk yourself through a scenario that may creep up and then you acknowledge how you're going to respond and this is a bit like the confidence thing so if my friends ask me to go out on a Wednesday then I will pause take a breath acknowledge where I'm at say yes if then so you're talking to yourself about these situations before they arise therefore when the situation arises you've got this learned narrative to support the action being taken there's actual research around that a couple of things that as well to consider what are your values if you value connection and you value health is you saying no to a spontaneous event in line with both of these values absolutely not because health is to do so without guilt with inclusivity and part of health we know is socializing connection humans thrive on human connection we need connection to be the best versions of ourselves so what we do is hold multiple truths to our values so you then going out and saying, yeah, I'm going to come out tonight. You're going to hold a multiple truth to both your health value and inclusive diet and your connection value. You're going to be connecting with those around you. But here's the thing. It doesn't have to be a dichotomy. You can then compromise. So say on that evening, um, somebody wants to go for a pizza. Brilliant. Let's go for pizza. And you really want a pizza off the menu. You've had your lunch and you've had your breakfast and you've had a bit of a protein snack before you go out because, you know, it's important for society. It's important for fullness and to help you be more mindful then you'll order the pizza. But because you're going to have the pizza, you're maybe going to pass on the bottle of wine that night because you're going to make a compromise. And you can order a side salad as well with it to get yourself some veggies in. And because you've maintained your regular eating pattern, which is so, so, so important and even more beneficial when you're going out spontaneously because you've already done so, you're going to be more mindful. So then it's leaning into the hunger scale and leaning into that hunger regulation and saying, okay, I'm going to eat this nice and slowly. I'm going to check in with any thoughts that are coming up. Like maybe I'm, I'm thinking I should order the salad because I've already ate two meals today. 
okay, is that helpful or is that hindering? Well, actually that's hindering because that's going to make me really food focused about my friends that are ordering pizza. And I know actually I really, really fancy that veggie supreme. Okay, well, I'd order the veggie supreme then. Right, now I need to make sure that I'm eating this mindfully, slowing down my pace of eating, really honoring the taste, the texture, the smells, but also taking in everything else of this evening, knowing that it's not just about the food. And then finally, catastrophize it like literally catastrophize it what is the worst possible thing that happens if you go out for food that evening the worst possible outcome you may gain a little bit of water overnight but you're not going to go out and eat and gain body fat from one meal or two meals like two meals of your week is around about 10 percent of your week so you've still got that 90 percent of your veggies of your protein of your consistency So how much are you sacrificing by saying no? Like, what's the cost of you saying no? But then what's the benefit of you saying yes? Well, you lean into more confidence. You've got value-aligned actions. You're able to compromise and you've got more of a flexible mindset that's fed from imperfection. And then, like I said, coming back to your desire to control, it's nothing to do with the food. So what does control bring you? Is that comfort or is that shadow comfort? And if you're feeling out of control with these events, actually the best thing you can do is then start by saying yes to these events and leaning into that because that's going to support your imperfection because imperfection creates more action than perfection ever will. But then around that, what can you do? Eat your breakfast the next day. Journal on it afterwards. Reflect. What did you gain in that moment? How do you feel? Where can you feel that in your body? What do you want to do tomorrow? And setting your intentions for the next day. And like, you won't remember in 10 years time that that one pizza on a Wednesday night. But in 10 years time, you will remember, trust me, trust me on this. You will remember all the times you said no to and you will grieve that part of you. And you don't want to be grieving a part of you that said no to social connection. Because frankly, that's so important. And you want to be able to make memories. And then if you're out and maybe you're preoccupied by the food and you're thinking about the food, keep coming back to that question. Is this helpful or is this is this hindering? Where does this come from? And it will come from years and years and years of dietary misinformation. But it's like a repetition for the brain. Every time you're going out and every time you're doing this practice, you're building confidence and you're giving your brain another repetition so that you then have that pause and you're then able to decide and make it value aligned and make the action intentional in pursuit of your health goals and even if you're in a fat loss phase going out a couple of times a week is not going to is not going to be detrimental to your fat loss phase and actually i'd 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 argue to say that if you don't go out that's more detrimental because that's going to increase more food focus increase more dichotomous thinking you'll get to the weekend you'll go off track you'll eat chocolate you'll drink wine you'll eat cake you'll feel guilt so hopefully using that will support you then make that decision all right and that's it they're the amazing questions this week, as always. So like I said, if you have any questions for Ben Coomba, please drop them across to, across to me. If you have any for Felicity Rosina, please also drop them across to me. If you have any questions for me, you know, I'm always here. My inbox is always open. And remember that referral scheme, guys, if you know anybody who you think will be beneficial and will benefit from this coaching process which frankly let's be honest everyone will then drop them across maybe the podcast send them across my email or just drop them my whatsapp number and i'll be open to having a conversation have a wonderful day thank you 
Hello and welcome to the Nutrition with Rebecca podcast. This podcast is designed to empower you with the knowledge to live a healthy and happy life, to banish the years of yo-yo dieting, heal your relationship with food, make lifelong changes to your health by learning evidence-based nutritional techniques with self-compassion, mindfulness and behaviour change to feel more accepting and confident both in your mind and your body. We'll likely be adding a little bit of feminism, some sass and some humour along the way. I hope you enjoy and thank you for tuning in.